0: Check. There we go. I don't do the podium very well, so sorry. If I have to stand behind a podium, it gets a little crazy for me. I'm used to uh, 1,800 teenagers in a gym. So uh, but it's good to be here. What a privilege to be at Christendom College. Thank you for the invite and for the privilege of being a part of your community and getting to see what God is doing here. Uh, not so far away from my alma mater, Liberty University. So I, I've, it's been a long time since I was there. It looks completely different. I'm old. So uh, it was Liberty Baptist College back in the day. So, uh, but it, it is so good to be here with you, and I hope we get a chance to talk a little bit more as we move on. Uh, let me personally just tell you, I am a mom of three kids. You will always be your parents' uh, kid, no matter how old you are. My oldest and my only girl. Did I lose it? Check test. There it goes. <laughs> you had to figure out where that spot is. You can't be. Uh, My oldest and only daughter is 29. She is uh, a first grade teacher uh, back in Minnesota. And uh, maybe more exciting, she got married about four years ago, so I have a fairly new son-in-law who's a pretty amazing young man. If you can survive dating the sex lady's daughter, you're doing really well. (laughs) He's a good guy. And maybe more exciting, in February, they had a little baby girl. So I am a grandma as of this year and very excited. A beautiful little granddaughter named Aubrey. I have a son that's uh, 27, living in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, works on people's computers during the week and sells video games to children at Toys R Us on the weekends. And my baby, my youngest son is 21 and in Austin, Texas, and is in film production and is working with an organization called uh, Cognitive Films as well as Heroic Media. And if you're familiar at all with Heroic Media out of Austin, they're doing some tremendous work for pregnancy uh, clinics and uh, across the nation. Uh, wonderful Catholic uh, brothers, two brothers that that own that and are using social media and and media to to get out uh, word and help pregnancy uh, centers get words to their clients and and be in their uh, world. So it's been amazing. So that's my family. I do get a chance to travel all uh, all over the world, and I've learned a tremendous amount from students in the 21 years I've been doing this. I always tell students, I hope that you'll learn something from me, but I would like to hear from you. Anyway, I will be here. If you don't get a chance to talk to me, and there was something you wanted to ask me, and it was rather personal, the way you reach me is you go to my website. It's pamstenzel.com. Hopefully you can spell my name. If you can't, we'll make sure someone puts it somewhere. On my website, there's a place you can email me. I do answer my own email. Uh, Give me about 10 days. Don't give me, you have a paper due on Friday. I might not see that, but I will answer you. Don't want anyone to leave with questions you wish you could have asked and didn't know who to ask. All right? So, and then all of those materials that you heard about, if you're going forward into, to work with students or you're going to be in ministry with youth at some point, those are some things, or, or you're a parent uh, of uh, soon-to-be teenagers, uh, those informa- this information will be available to you to, to take. I had a mother buy my DVD one day. She took it out. She goes, every boy that dates my daughter will watch this. <laughs> I will provide the popcorn. The best one was an older gentleman that bought like eight DVDs. One time after I was done speaking, I'm like, Eight? And he goes, Christmas presents for the grandchildren. <laughs> I'm like, like, could I just be there at Christmas when you hand out? And you know what your parents tell their teenagers, whatever grandma and grandpa give you, just say thank you. Just, just smile and say thank you. We'll find it. We'll find it. Check, test. There it is. Um, <laughs> so anyway, oh, there it is. Ah, woo. So can you imagine opening your Christmas gift and having it say sex as a price tag from grandpa? Like, thanks for the sex video, grandpa. (laughs) Appreciate that. Check test. This one's not working. There it is. I don't know if it's this one or that one. It's this one. (laughs) There we go. So before I started traveling and speaking full time, I spent nine years counseling in pregnancy clinics in Chicago and then in Minneapolis. And for nine years, I would have girls in my clinic daily saying, Pam, I didn't know. If someone would have told me that this is what was going to happen, I would have made a different choice. No one told me. I began to ask these girls in my clinic, what could we have said? What could someone have said to you before you made your choice that might have helped you to have made a better choice? And after nine years, I realized that we had a lot of students out there making decisions about sex, having no idea, none, but the consequence would be. It's what I what I've been talking to kids about for all these years. And I tell students when I go to their high schools and some of the universities, I didn't show up at your school to decide for you what you're going to do about sex. Not why I'm here. Can't make this choice for you? Don't intend to. Can't go on your dates with you? I don't have time. <laughs> your parents can't choose for you. Some of them might wish they could. I mean, I clearly told my kids when they were four that when they turned 13, I'm putting them in a box, locking it and feeding through a window until they're 20. That was my whole plan. We can't do that. All we can do is love you, tell you the truth, and pray you make good choices. My goal is not to decide for kids what they're going to do. I am not the sex police. My only goal is that no student would ever be able to leave my talk and ever again have to say to a physician, to a counselor, to your future husband or wife, well, nobody told me. I didn't know. Tonight you're going to be told what you choose to do when you leave is completely up to you. It's really important we get this when we're communicating, especially moral truth, but but more than that even medical and just truth to students. It's not our job to decide for people what they're going to do. There's a big political argument about abstinence education, comprehensive sex education, what do we teach our kids and 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 you know, and 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 first of all, we've lost the language war because The other side called their sex education, which was basically everybody use a condom and here's the 15 forms of birth control and go have at it. Um, That's called comprehensive sex education. And then what we were doing at the time in, in, in the 2000s, and it was merely to separate ourselves up from the, 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 bill, the millions and millions of dollars that had been going to Planned Parenthood. We, we said, can we just have a piece? And, and the Bush administration gave us 20%, 20%. We got a little piece for abstinence education. And Planned Parenthood immediately walked in and said, well, we teach abstinence. We need that 20% along with our other 80%. And so in order to try and say, no, we need to distinguish ourselves from what this is doing, we need to call it, and it, it be, they gave it, politically gave it the term abstinence only. So when you go to a school board and you'd say, do you want your kids taught comprehensive? Comprehensive. Or do you want them abstinence only? Abstinence only. As if we walk in going, no, no don't do it. This is ridiculous. It's the stupidest thing ever. Basically, now we've attempted to take back the language. It doesn't always work in politics, as you know, but, but we call what we're doing sexual risk avoidance, or SRA. What they do is sexual risk reduction. Do you hear the difference? Reducing risk is not avoiding risk altogether. What we're teaching is sexual risk avoidance. Well, I got asked, to, all this discussion's going on. Uh, Obama took over uh, a year later, I got asked to speak in D.C. for the Health and Human Services <laughs> little conference for the absence educators. Kathleen Sebelius had just taken over uh, DHHS, and somebody called me to, to keynote this conference, and I've never been there yet. This is the first time. I'm like, who in the world's going to lose their job? <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> so I, I showed up in Washington, D.C. the night before because I'm a speaker. I don't have to go to all your silly things. I showed up the night before I had to speak, and I walked in, and my friends knew me. They saw me come into the hotel, and they said, Pam, you will not believe what Kathleen Sebelius did tonight. Opened the whole conference for three days for these abstinence educators and told them that that things are changing now. There's a new administration, and the money that you were given to teach abstinence education would no longer be available. If you are not going to teach birth control, condoms, and abortion... In your teaching, you will not get a drop of government funding. And what you teach your kids at home is your personal business. But what you do with taxpayer money will require you to teach abortion, uh, birth control, and condoms. And, and, and basically told them, told them they were losing their funding. In fact, a lot of the groups, it was difficult for them because they were given a three-year grant and were told in February that their money would be gone in September. And they're running around panicking, going, who are we going to fire? Our programs going down? I mean, it was really – they were in panic mode. And they were just so nervous. And then Scott said to me, not only did she say that, but she got up in front of all of us and said, Abstinence doesn't work. I said, Did those words come out of her mouth exactly like that? Yep, that's what she said. I got up the next morning and I had 300 abstinence educators out here, my, most of them my friends. And I had Kathleen Sibelius and everybody at DHA's right in the front row. And I said, I heard last night that someone told you that abstinence doesn't work. And I don't know what medical information you have that I am unaware of. But last I checked, abstinence works 99.9999999% of the time, and the one time it didn't work, we have Christmas. (laughs) Abstinence doesn't work. Stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And then they call me medically inaccurate. <laughs> they have lost their minds, lost their minds. Listen, I'm going to get into my personal reasons for getting involved in this, because I, I, I told I would. But I, I, I got to start this way, because this is, this is the only way I know how to start it. And, and, and when I start to speak to kids about sex, this is how I start, because I think this is the way it should start. I can't do it in public schools. Two countries in the world in which you can't say God on a public school campus, the United States and Canada. But, but luckily, because all of this funding mess, I don't do public schools as much. I get to do all of the uh, Catholic and, and, and other uh, Protestant, evangelical, faith-based schools. But, but the, the great thing is I get to start this way. God created sex. It's awesome. Not a horrible, terrible thing we can't talk about here. It was God's idea, not yours. God wants you to have great sex. He does. Not about wrecking your fun and ruining your weekend. Now I grew up in church. I grew up in the Baptist church. So I had weird ideas about God when I was a kid. I'm sure you didn't. I did. I thought God was bored one day, and he didn't have a thing better to do, so what he thought would be fun to make a bunch of rules to ruin my life. So he wrote the Bible, the Ten Commandments, which you all know are rules to wreck everybody's fun. And if that wasn't bad enough when I was a kid in church, this is what we used to sing every Sunday. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. I did not hear the in love part. I heard the father up above is looking down with the lightning bolts ready to fry you if you blow it. (laughs) That's God's job. Make up a bunch of silly rules and sit up there all day long and watch you so if you blow it, break a commandment. He's like, fried, saw you. People, God loves you and God loves me. And God's law is not about wrecking our fun and ruining our weekend. It's about giving us the best. Jesus said he came to bring us life. But God took a colossal risk at the beginning of time. And if I were God, I would not have done it. (laughs) Which is why I'm not. God, for some reason I don't understand, decided to let you choose. Decided to give us all a choice. Knowing full well that all of us would shake our fists in his face and tell him we don't need him. We don't need his rules. God doesn't need to tell me how to live my life. I can do it my way. And what would follow would be sin, disease, pain, and death. Even though he knew that, he still let you choose. God created sex, but he created it with a boundary. And when sex happens in that boundary, it's awesome. Outside of that boundary, it's horribly destructive. What is the boundary, the context, for which God created sex? Don't scare me, Christendom. I just about (laughs) had a heart attack for just a minute. Where am I? (laughs) There's the right answer (laughs) from the faculty. marriage. (laughs) Some of you didn't know that. Can I be really bold and I know where I am to say this? Some of you don't believe that. How many Catholic kids I've had in my clinics go to mass, get confirmed, show show up in my clinic and go, yeah, but we loved each other. So God did not create sex for love. That is not the boundary. God created sex for one context and one only, permanent lifetime commitment, marriage, not love. Now, sometimes in marriage, there's love. That's helpful. (laughs) On occasion, there's not, not the criteria. 30 years ago, I walked an aisle and said these words to a young man I met in Bible college and whom I loved, you and you only, for better, for worse for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health, till death, 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 Do us part, I was brain damaged, so was he, guess what, we got sicker, poor and worse, sorry <laughs> to burst your bubble, somehow before we get married, when we're single, girls, we think marriage is going to be happily ever after, excitement, heart pounding romance, one big long date, I blame Disney, <laughs> I know why you think that, because you look at your parents' marriage and that is the most romantic relationship you have ever known, my marriage didn't look like that. looked at my husband and said, my goodness, it's got to be you, because I'm the most exciting thing that ever lived. <laughs> if there are problems in my marriage, people, it is his fault. If I dumped him and got a better guy, I'd have a great marriage. My marriage has problems. You know why? I'm in it. When you get married, if you're married, your marriage has problems. Don't get, and if, when you get married, you're going to have trouble. In fact, that's the only thing Paul said. In the New Testament, in the, the letters to the epistles, Paul said this. In marriage, you will have Trouble trouble, trouble. I mean, it, it's just the way it is. That's how it is. I did not say to my husband, I'll stay married to you if you treat me the way I expect to be treated. You put your socks where they belong. You don't gain 500 pounds the next 10 years. And he didn't say that to me, thank God. What I said was I'm committed to you for the rest of my life. That's the safe context for sex, not a fuzzy feeling. We've got it completely backwards. Now marriage is my about me. It's like, give me, fix me, fill me. It's not about self-sacrifice. It's not about loving the other, to, to, you know, loving your wife as Christ loved the church that you would lay down your life. It's not about submission. It's love me, feel, 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 feel. Unbelievable. I love God's law because it's easy. When I first started doing this back in the early 90s, some of you some of you weren't even born. Oh, that's so scary. Uh, Magic Johnson came out and told the world that he was HIV positive, so Nickelodeon went on and did a big special, and the uh, public health said, we're going to tell kids... To, uh, that they don't have to worry about HIV infection as long as they wait to have sex until they're ready. <laughs> what does that mean? What? And I said, well, that's not working very well, so let's tell teenagers to wait to have sex until they're in love, and every ninth grade girl in love. God's law is so much easier. Either you're married or you're not, and you can't be kind of married any more than you can be kind of pregnant. It is an A or B situation. <laughs> Right, and you're not almost right. And here's the other reason I love God's law when it comes to sex and marriage, is because I'm not talking to students. I'm talking to every single person in this room. This is where I get in trouble. It's not the students, it's the faculty. Because <laughs> I'm talking to you. This has nothing to do with. I did not say wait to have sex until you were old enough. Here is God's law. If you are not married, don't do it. If you are married, go for it with the person you're married two. (laughs) We have to put that in there. Some of us who play golf get confused. I didn't say to my husband, I'll stay married to you if you treat me the way I expect to be treated. You put your socks very long, you don't gain 500 pounds the next 10 years. And what I said, I said, I'm committed to you for the rest of my life, no matter what. The sacrament is the safe context for sex, not a fuzzy feeling. Permanent, one man, one woman, leaving their families, cleaving to each other, and then in an unbelievable gift, being able to produce children out of that union. That, that, that's the amazing thing about marriage, right? That's, what it, that's where it was intended. If you forget everything I tell you tonight, it's there's only one thing you can remember, here's what I want you to hear. If you have sex outside of marriage, if you have sex outside of one permanent monogamous, and monogamy does not mean one at a time, <laughs> one partner who's only been with you, you have sex outside of that context and you'll pay. There's a cost. No one has ever had more than one partner and not paid. I have spent 20 years of my life looking at the cost, looking at the pain, dealing with the result of a generation after generation that has shaken their fists in the face of a God who loves them and said, no, we don't want to do it your way. We'll do it our way. And in a culture that believes you can sin safely. I have some spiritual news for you. You cannot sin safely. It can't be done. There will always be a consequence. And the theology says this. The wages of sin is death. death. When we talk about a culture of death, what we're talking about is a culture of rebellion. Rebelliousness and sin brings death. Righteousness, choosing to do what God called us to do and live in that culture of righteousness, brings life. That's James chapter 1. Read it over and over again. Righteousness produces life. Sin produces death. Not on occasion, every single time. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Physical consequences. What are most teens and college students who are having sex afraid of? What's their biggest fear? Pregnancy is the biggest fear of teens having sex today. Makes no sense to me. Got a news flash for you. Pregnancy is not a disease. It's survivable. You can actually live through it. I've lived through it three times now, a few extra pounds here and there, it hasn't killed me yet. I walk into a, uh, my clinic, a little girl sitting there waiting for a pregnancy test, scared out of her mind. She's scared to death. I walk in, look at her and say, your test is negative, sweetheart, you're not pregnant. She gets this look of relief over her face like I am off the hook, not pregnant. Thank you very much, let me out of your clinic. Wait a minute. Have you been tested for syphilis, gonorrhea, herpes, chlamydia, trigonomous, arthritis, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, HPV, HIV? You've been tested, me, I go to Christendom. I don't go to Liberty. You mean I? I would need to be tested for that. This little girl is in my clinic thinking she could be pregnant, and she does not think she could have a disease. Astounding. Students, you have a four times greater risk of contracting a disease today than you ever have of being pregnant. Pregnant teenage girls in our country Pregnant teen girls in this country are carrying, on average, 2.3 sexually transmitted infections. Not one, not two, most of them three or more. But they weren't worried about getting a disease, were they? Oh, no. They didn't want to get pregnant. Every single high school I speak in, anywhere in this nation, Catholic, public, it makes no difference. Every single high school... I will have a girl write me, email me, or come right up to me and say this. Well, my mom found out I was having sex, and so she put me on the pill. Or Depo, the shot, which is ten times worse. What's that protecting her from? What does birth control protect you from? Pregnancy most of the time. That drug, that hormone, that pill, that shot that this girl is taking has just made her 10 times more likely to contract a disease than if she were not taking that drug, this little girl could end up sterile or dead. Thanks, Mom. Glad you cared. Pregnancy, the worst thing that could happen if you had sex today? Do you see what we've done? Think, students, think hard, because this is a cultural shift. If you would've become pregnant, not married in the 60s, you you would've been whisked off to grandmas to have a little vacation. And then just come home about nine months later, minus a bit, and life just went on and nobody talked about it, right? But if I asked a woman in the 60s or 70s why was she embarrassed because she got pregnant, she would tell you inevitably she was embarrassed because, because her pregnancy let everyone know she was having sex, right? That that was the you couldn't anymore hide the fact that you were having sex outside of marriage. Today is that is that what's going on? No. We have so flipped this now that we have made the pregnancy the sin. The pregnancy is the horrible thing. The sex that got you there is what everybody's doing. That's not a problem. The problem is you got pregnant. And do you see how that feeds right into the culture of death? Because now the, the pregnancy is the problem, not the behavior that got you there. And that's absolutely untrue. Absolutely not true. It's the behavior that's the problem. I've had to look at a lot of young girls and tell them their test was positive. No easy way out at this point. I mean, she's desperate. I'm like, sweetheart, you had a good choice. That was before you had sex. Now all your choices are going to carry consequences. Abortion is painful. I counseled hundreds of women 5, 10, 15 years after an abortion still hurting. I counseled teen girls with anorexia, bulimia, depression, cutting, attempted suicide because of an abortion they couldn't dig back. My uncle is a trauma surgeon in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I was home visiting my family a few years back, and uh, he knew I was there visiting family, but he called me up and he said, Pam, we had a patient come into ER, horrible circumstances. She's up in the uh, recovery room right now. Nobody's even coming to see her. I know you're on vacation. Would you have any ability to just get up to this hospital and sit with this girl? I went up to the hospital room of a 20-year-old girl who that morning entered an abortion clinic to undergo a an abortion at 20 weeks, dilation and evacuation. Her cervix was dilated. Instruments were entered into her uterus that would look like pliers, literally in order to rip that child out in pieces. In the process of performing this abortion, the abortionist perforated her uterus, grabbed a hold of part of her bowel, and literally yanked it through her vagina. She was bleeding to death, rushed to the ER, where my uncle had to attempt to save her life. In order to save this little girl's life, he had, to do a colost- he had to do a complete hysterectomy. First of all, uterus is gone. She will never have children. He then had to do a colostomy. This 20-year-old is going to go to the bathroom in a bag on the outside of her body for the rest of her life. A safe, legal, little fix to a problem. Never, absolutely never. Abortion kills children, but it also harms, damages, and destroys that woman. Every time. Parenting's not an easy choice. I was in Ohio recently, met a seventh grade girl, 12 years old, pregnant with twins. A lot of difficult years ahead for this. Number one indicator of poverty in our country today has nothing to do with race or where you live. Do you know what the number one indicator of poverty is in our country? Single parent households in the age of that young girl when she began parenting alone. Teen moms, again the breakdown of the family. Number one indicator of poverty. Third option a young girl has, which I happen to think is the best, but not without pain, it's adoption. The ability of a young girl to take the child she's carried with her for nine months and loves with everything she is, to say, I want what's best for my child, and I'm not it, and I'm willing to go through all of this pain in order to give my child a family. That takes a lot of courage, a lot of maturity, and a lot of love. Not easy. Over a million requests for adoption will go unanswered in our country. Over 1 million couples who would love to be parents before Christmas this year who will not be. Girls, I need you to hear this. This will primarily affect the girls in here. Girls, infertility. The inability to have children of your own biologically has risen over 500% among women in 10 years. One decade. The girls who graduated from this school in 2006, many of them are just now today finding out they will never have children because of choices they made sitting where you're sitting. Girls. You find out five years from now, ten years from now, that you can't have children for whatever reason, and all the money you and your husband have spent trying to get pregnant doesn't work, chances you'll be able to adopt an infant in our country. Not good. Average adoption of infants here now takes between eight and ten years and costs between ten and twenty thousand dollars. We have no infants available here. That's why I've been in Africa. We have 1.4 million orphans to both their parents dead from AIDS, and yet millions of couples in the US, Canada, and Western Europe who can't have children. Problem is, no matter, no matter what Angelina Jolie and Madonna might make it look like, it is not that easy to run to Africa, Russia, China, South America, and pick up a child. The average international adoption today runs about $50,000 in whatever you have to bribe the country to get the baby out. It takes a lot of love for a girl to give her child a family and to give that couple the privilege of being parents. Fifty years ago, in Michigan, a young 15-year-old girl became pregnant. She had a lot of difficult choices to make. Maybe more so than some teen girls. She was raped. But this young girl chose to give her child life and then to place that child with an adoptive family. And that child was me. My biological father is a rapist. I don't even know my ethnicity. But I am still a human being. And I still have value. And I don't believe that my life is worth less than yours just because of the way I was conceived. And I don't believe that I deserve the death penalty because of the crime of my biological father. And I've listened to the rhetoric my whole life. Listen to people say, well, every child should be wanted and planned. I've heard this said in the church. Well, well, I I wouldn't have an abortion. That's terrible. I wouldn't kill my child. I don't believe that we should rip children's limbs off of them at 21 weeks because they can feel pain. But if it were rape, you're a mistake, Pam. I don't believe that. I believe that every child is wanted by someone. And I believe that God in his mercy had a plan for me. And I can't explain that to you and you can't me. Don't try. I was every Bible professor's worst nightmare in college. You want to talk about the sovereignty of God and free will of man? Because I have a question to be really careful how you answer it. Did God plan me? I memorized a verse when I was little that went like this. I knew you before the foundations of the world. I formed you in your mother's womb. Did that mean me or did that just mean you? Did God look down that night in November of 1965 and say, oops, what am I going to do with this huge mistake right here? You know what? I'm going to be honest because there's way too many theology and philosophy professors in front of me. And I, I'm just going to be really honest with you here and tell you that I don't know. I don't know. But I am going to tell you what I do know tonight. I know that my God is so awesome and so amazing that he is capable of taking your worst pain. Whether it was something you chose or whether it was something that was done to you. And my God can make something very beautiful come from that. That's amazing grace. That is redemption. I've not met my birth mom someday. I hope to. If I don't meet her here on earth, I'm going to meet her in heaven. I've been praying for her since I was four years old. And when we meet, I'm going to wrap my arms around her and I'm going to tell her I love her. Because she loved me. Loved me enough to give me my life, and then she loved me enough to give me the next most special gift I was ever given, and that's my family. I'm the oldest of eight children. Seven of us adopted every color of the rainbow in my family. We are the United Nations all by ourselves. (laughs) My mom's one of 12 kids, nine girls, three boys. Six of those girls had fertility problems. Of the 87 grandchildren, 38 of us are adopted. You come to my family reunion. Awesome. And I know that my family was a gift from a very scared 15-year-old girl. Since you've heard my story, you know why, when I I went to Moody Bible Institute right out of college, and and I I wanted to make an impact, I I was pro-life and and wanted to speak those words to whomever would hear it. And then, at Moody, we were required to do practical Christian ministry. We were not allowed to just, like, go to class. We had to do three to six hours a week of Christian ministry, and they they, they assigned me to Awana, I begged to get out of Awana, please don't make me do this. And I found out that there was a pregnancy, this was back in the early 80s, that there was a pregnancy center, a, a life, pro-life pregnancy center there in Chicago. And so I begged my, uh, my, my teachers and my professor to let me go there. And, and at 18 years old, downtown inner city Chicago, I began working in a pregnancy clinic. And I got to tell you, my heart was changed. Because now it wasn't politics we're talking. Now we're not talking about changing the law. Now we're sitting one-on-one with a woman in crisis and walking this decision with her and saying, you know what, you don't have to kill your child. We will be here for you. We will be here all the way to the end. And, And, you know, I have held children in my arms that I have saved from the death camps of this nation. Held them in my arms by merely walking alongside their mother and saying, I can help you. What do you need? Because I, and, and I spoke at mass uh, on Saturday night and, and, and yesterday morning uh, about respect life. And I said, here's the, here's the reality that we need to understand. We have to love them both. We have to come alongside these mothers. We have to be there. I pray that someone was there for my birth mother. I don't know if they were, but, but maybe these years that I've spent walking alongside these young women in crisis has been a way for me to say, you know what, if no one was there for my 15-year-old birth mother, who I later found out was in foster care, imagine. A 15-year-old pregnant foster child, I would have been, dr- 1975, I'd be dead. There's no way I would have survived it. No way. But, but you know what, because I, I was protected by the law in 1965, completely different issue in 1975. But we need to be there for these women, and that's what God gave me the privilege to do. And, you know, back in the 80s, we were, we were so concerned that a woman would choose life. We were so concerned about a pregnancy that when she would come in for a pregnancy test and the test was negative, we, we kind of did this little, oh, thank God, Whew, she's not pregnant, see you next month. And I started realizing that we were seeing girls with so many more issues. And, 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 and back in the 80s, mind you, we didn't have that. I mean, we had gonorrhea and herpes, and, and we didn't even know what really about chlamydia. HPV wasn't even on the radar. But then came a disease called HIV, and this blew the whole sexual health discussion out of, uh, out of the window. And, and all of a sudden, I realized we're not talking with these girls about what we need to talk to them about. And that's the decisions that they're making that brought them here in the first place. We're dealing with, oh, please don't get pregnant, but we're not dealing with all of these issues. Today, in the next 24 hours, 14,000 teenagers will contract a sexually transmitted infection today. 14,000 more tomorrow. When we include the college population, which is the highest STI infection uh, infected population in the country, when we include the college population through age 22, we have 38,000 newly infected students a day. If you would have graduated high school in 19... 19- 67. Uh, Who wants to admit you can remember that year? <laughs> if you would have graduated in 1967, one out of 32 of your classmates would have been infected with an STD. If you, would have gradu- you would have had to have had a few partners in the sexual revolution to see an STD. If you would have graduated with me in the dark ages of 1982, getting closer for some of you, one in 18 of our classmates was infected. It virtually doubled. Today, it is one out of four. Completely different animal, completely different animal. In the 1950s, we had five sexually transmitted infections we knew about and were treating. Five, you could count them on one hand. Go find a grandparent. Go find somebody who grew up in the 50s or 60s, ask them. This would be a great dinner table conversation next time your grandma's, y'all. Thanksgiving break, make sure all the relatives are, Grandma, were there STIs when you were a kid Did people have them talk about it at school? Did you have crazy speakers come to your Catholic high school and yell about syphilis in 1952? <laughs> uh, no. Maybe a few people back then had an STD, got a shot of penicillin, moved on. Some of you are old enough to remember when we called it VD. Remember that? Scary time in the 70s. Students, I know on Valentine's, you know, February comes around and and you can't spell and we just need to text and it needs to be, please don't text anyone over 40 and say happy VD day, please. (laughs) Because we get that and it's like, whoa, whoa, no, not happy VD day. No, no. Welcome to 2015. We now have over 30 sexually transmitted infections, 30% of them absolutely incurable. That means you get one of these diseases, and you've got it for life, which is a lovely thing, boys, when you're getting ready to get married. Found this girl you love. I mean, this is it. She's the one you want to marry, all those other girls that was just messing around. This is the real thing. Pull out that diamond, look her in the eyes. If you're cool guys, you get on your knees. You say, marry me. By the way, I've got genital warts. You'll get it, too, and we'll both be treated for the rest of our lives. In fact, you'll probably end up with a radical hysterectomy, cervical cancer, and possibly death. But marry me. Well, I'm excited now. Thanks for sharing. Now, that what you want to tell your wife, guys? Lovely. HPV, general warts, syphilis, gonorrhea, herpes, chlamydia, trichinomus, arthritis, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, this goes on and on and on. Serious diseases with serious consequences. It is literally epidemic. It is so out of control that when Kathleen Sibelius and DHHS released their new sex ed curriculum since we, since we can't do abstinence education more. Here's what it says. Everybody gets an STD. Everybody. It is the common cold. And there's no way you're going to escape it. Unbelievable. The number one STD in the world, in Virginia, right here, among the students who are here, the number one STD, well, that we know of. I shouldn't say that because there's a virus that's more common. But the most common bacterial STD and the most common one that we're testing for is Chlamydia. A bacteria, not a virus, easily treated and cured. If we knew you had it, we could help you. It literally costs us a dollar to test you for this, all right? Uh, two types of STDs, in case you have not yet had biology or you flunked or you, you, you don't remember, okay? Two types of STDs, bacterial and viral or non-viral and viral. A bacteria is curable. Medication we can give you, we can take care of that. A virus is not. You get a virus, you got it for life. There is no cure. We've never in the history of the world cured a virus, ever. We're now scaring old people with this. Have you seen the commercials? If you had the chicken pox as a child, the shingles virus lives inside you. (laughs) Of course it does. It's a virus. Chlamydia is not a virus, bacteria curable, so what's the big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is, in 90% of students who have chlamydia, there are no symptoms. You cannot treat a disease you don't know you have. We got thousands of students out there having sex going, well, it's not bothering me, see, because I've had sex, but I don't have an STI. I've never been tested, certainly not in the last three weeks, but I know I don't have anything. How would you know that? Let me tell you something safe to say I know about you. If I've got a student here tonight who's had sex, let me tell you something I'm pretty sure I know about you. You actually believe that if you get up the next morning and herpes isn't tattooed to your forehead, you don't have a disease. I mean, if I can't see it, feel it, or touch it, I don't have it. Pam, if I had an STI, I would know. My nose would turn purple, my ears would be red, something would burn. I would know. They would not know. The only way you'd know about chlamydia is if you got tested. You're not getting tested because you don't think it's going to happen to you. I was speaking in the RCA dome where the Colts used to play football. We had 40,000 kids that morning. Whenever I would speak to stadiums like that, I'll get done, and a 1,000 teenagers will rush up to me going, Pam, you need to come to my school. When can you get to my school? We had eight girls pregnant. We have the highest pregnancy rate in the county. But I don't know anyone at my school who's got an STD. Really? First of all, your friends aren't getting tested. And even if they were, do you think they'd tell you? (laughs) I mean, here, are they going to tell you? Hey, guys, went to the doctor yesterday, found out I had herpes. Tell everybody by lunch. (laughs) I'd like the whole school to know. Maybe we could put it on the announcements. Do we have announcements here? This would be awesome. Every Monday, the following students contracted an STD over the weekend. They are. (laughs) That would be helpful. Then we would all know. What do these kids think these girls actually think they're going to show up the Monday after homecoming walk the hallways of the school and go purple nose you see his nose girls he had herpes you see his nose don't touch him (laughs) the reality is the stats here aren't different which they would be maybe they're different in some segment but the reality is with our studies we aren't seeing the big difference which means I got one in four of the students on this campus infected you think you'd know they are there's no way you'd know American Medical Association released a bulletin and said this, every teenage girl who has had sex must be screened for chlamydia every six months. Every teenage girl who has had sex must be screened for chlamydia every six months. Why girls? Why not the boys? Don't boys get this? Of course they do. Who do you think the girls are getting it from? If you're getting it from each other, we have another discussion I was not prepared to have. Now you can get it that way, to be clear. Boys and girls both get this, give it to each other, so why are the doctors only concerned about the girls? I'll tell you, girls, listen, you can track chlamydia one time in your lifetime, cure it or not, and there is a 25% chance you will be sterile for the rest of your life. Get this twice, girls, it jumps to 50%. Get it three times, and there is a very good chance you will never have children. We literally have hundreds of thousands of women entering their mid-20s going, I'd like to start my family now. I'm married, finished college, finally found a good guy, done with all the messing around I did back there. I asked for forgives, went to confession for that. That's my past. Now I want to be a mom. They try, can't get pregnant. They go running to doctors. He checks and says, my goodness, sweetheart, you've got all this scar tissue in your fallopian tubes, your ovaries, your uterus. You have pelvic inflammatory disease, PID. You had chlamydia when you were a teenager in college. What? What? I had what? I had a sexually transmitted infection. How could I have had that? I didn't know. Too late, girls. Here's what we found out. We had all these girls with pelvic inflammatory disease, scarring of their fallopian tubes in their uterus. We thought that the problem with conception was either ectopic pregnancy, we couldn't get the egg and the sperm to meet, and, and so what we would do is a little procedure called IVF, in vitro fertilization. we take father's sperm, mother's egg, unite them in a dish, take this new embryo, this little life, enter it into that uterus so the baby can grow there. The problem was women with past chlamydia infections and... And PID pelvic inflammatory disease was were still miscarrying at alarming rates. They could not carry the child. Here's what the doctors found out as recently as just a decade ago: when a young woman has chlamydia infection, her body produces an antigen called HSP. This antigen screams to her white blood cells, "Infection! Infection!" and they run to the uterus to try and kill, uh, uh, kill or cure that infection. The problem is. When that new little embryo, that little life, that baby attaches itself to the uterine wall, it produces an antigen that mimics and looks exactly like HSP. And for any girl who had chlamydia infection in her past, her entire white blood cell system starts to scream, infection, infection, and runs to her uterus to kill that baby trying to grow there. How many high school girls I've looked at over the last couple of years and said, sweetheart, you might very well forget what you did on prom night. Your body... We'll never forget. It is very important that as you speak to students and young people about these issues, and I hope that many of you are going to get to be the leaders in your community, and your parishes, you're going to be able to talk to students as they're, they're, they're getting older and going through these things, is that your girls need to understand something. Girls, you need to understand something. You will pay the higher price. The score is not even. We cannot make it even. I'll come back to it. Number one STD in the world, in the United States, right here in Virginia. Number one STD is human papillomavirus, HPV. This is a virus? What does that mean? No cure, you, get it. you got it for everyone. Not only the most common STD, the most contagious STD we know, not transmitted the way HIV is. Street name for human papillomavirus, or HPV, is genital warts. Basically, warts on your genital area that need to be burned off periodically, either through laser surgery or chemicals. Now, I'm going to give you a little heads up. I travel around and speak, and and inevitably, if somebody's going to faint, go down, throw up, it's during genital warts every time. So, So if you're not breathing, I'm going to beg you to breathe. Just breathe. I don't even have pictures, and I got football players just going down, boom. <laughs> and then I'm in, the t- I'm in the school principal's office with the nurse, and this teacher comes in. And he goes, should I be worried about why Travis, or Travis fainted in that sex assembly because he's dating my daughter? <laughs> Not touching it. <laughs> Not even going there. Uh, street name is genital warts. Basically, warts on your genital area that need to be burned off periodically, either through laser surgery or chemicals. Now, we used to think that was the only big deal. 15, 20 years ago, get a few warts, burn them off. Till so we realized a few things. One is you can have the virus and be giving it to partners without ever having warts. The most cancerous strains of this virus don't produce warts at all. Students are not infecting each other with this because you mean to. You absolutely don't mean to. You don't know you have it. Girls, if you do get warts or lesions as a result of being infected with HPV, typically girls, they will be on your cervix. When was the last time you saw your cervix? I had an eighth grade boy in Detroit look up at me and go, I don't know. <laughs> said, you don't have one, honey, breathe. <laughs> Cervix is the opening to the uterus, and boys, you don't have one of those either. <laughs> I know when I say gentle warts to students that I might have somebody in here who's had sex who in your mind is going to start to do this. Well, she said that wart thing, and I have never seen a wart down there. I don't have that. My friend, if you've had sex or sexual contact, and I'm going to define that in a second, and you have not been tested by a doctor for HPV. In boys, that's a blood test that costs an excess of $1,000. There's not a free clinic in this nation that will ever test a boy for this and no insurance companies pay. We do not test boys for HPV. It is a horribly expensive blood test that is completely inaccurate. It could take five years from the time a boy is infected before he would test positive on our test. And yet we have boys saying stuff like this to girls. I don't have anything. I got tested. For what? And how much did it cost you? And I sure hope it's been five years since you last had sex. STD testing cannot tell you what you don't have. We can tell no one what they don't have. We have people thinking they can have sex on Friday night, run to a clinic a few months later, and tell, tell partners that they don't have an STD simply because they got tested? Come on. We are testing girls for this. It's done in most free clinics. Tests for girls can take 3 years from infection before you'll test positive, but we had been testing girls annually. We test girls completely differently from boys. We test girls through a thin prep pap smear or pap test, which is a scraping of the cervix. Why don't we test boys that way? Making sure you don't have one. You're making sure you're still in. We're now requiring every woman who's had sex to get a pap test annually. If I've got a girl in here under the age of 24 who's had sex, you are at absolute highest risk. Girls The younger you are, the easier you are to infect, and the more damage to your cervix. Your age matters. I've got a girl in here under 24 who said, Sex, you must be getting an annual pap test. Negative pap test doesn't mean you don't have HPV. It means you don't yet have cervical cancer. Some of you have heard there's a vaccine for this virus. 2006, Merck released a vaccine called Gardasil. Originally only given to girls, we've begun vaccinating boys. We have no idea if it works for boys, but we made $40 billion year one vaccinating girls. So bring on the boys, puppies, and kittens. Bring them all in. Follow the almighty dollar. Here's what we know about the girls. Gardasil is not a vaccine for cancer. It is a vaccine for this sexually transmitted infection, HPV. Gardasil, the vaccine for HPV, needs to be given to a girl who is a virgin. If you are not a virgin, it will likely do no good, which is why we targeted 11- and 12-year-old girls. Ladies, Gardasil... Given to a virgin girl is what, and I didn't get back there somehow. It's good for four out of the 100 strains of this virus. There are over 100 strains of HPV. The vaccine is good for four out of the 100. 96 strains still there. Here's the takeaway: vaccinated or not, every girl within one to two years of having sex will need an, a regular pap test. We must must still screen you. Okay, guys, HPV is a little annoying. Having warts burned off, your genital area is painful. I'm sure I'm guessing. And I would hate to have to be there, boys, when you had to tell the girl you loved and wanted to marry about every single partner you've ever had, because I have to know. My risk of infection has nothing to do with whether you used a condom or got tested. My risk of infection has everything to do with where you've been. I have to know every single partner. It is unconscionable that anyone in this room, anyone, and am I including not just the students, the staff, myself, people who work for the CIA, former governors of California. It is unconscionable that anyone in this room would ever have sex with another human being and not honestly tell that person everywhere you've been, every partner. That might not be fun. Boys, you're going to live. Girls, you better know where this boy's been, and you better pray to God he's not lying or cheating on his sweetheart, because it's a big deal for you. HPV is the number one causal agent of cervical cancer in women. We now have girls as young as 18, 19, and 20 undergoing radical hysterectomies. We'll never have children because of invasive cervical cancer. I had a senior at a Catholic high school come up to me at the end of my talk. It was May. It was the end of the school year. This little senior comes right up to me. She goes, Pam, I got cervical cancer. Got it in the ninth grade which means she got HPV in the seventh or eighth. She goes, I've had numerous cryosurgeries, freezings of my cervix, the cancer spread to my uterus, they're doing a hysterectomy next week, three weeks before she graduated. She's being tough, this little girl. She said, Pam, kids are noisy, smelly, cost a lot of money, and I don't want one. Then she got a little teary and said, I'm just trying to deal with the fact that I'm going to have to tell the man I love and want to marry that if he marries me, neither will he. Worth this girl? Because he said he loved you because everybody else is doing it? Two things you need to know very important about HPV. One is they now estimate that 67% of the students in the state of Virginia who have had sex, that's a specific group, that's not all of you. Most of you have never had sex, you're virgins. You can run out here in a minute yelling virgin. You're perfectly fine. 67% of the students who have had sex are already infected with at least one strain of HPV. That was math that most kids don't want to do, so let me give it to you clearly. Thus the reason for the new health department standard. There is no way, the CDC said in 2012, there's no way anyone uh, under the age of 24 could have sex with someone who is not, in fact, a virgin and not get an STD. Statistical impossibility. We are no longer asking if they're infected. We're simply trying to figure out what they have. Here's why. There's not a condom in the world that will protect you from HPV. Didn't say it might slip, break, fall off, or you left it in the glove compartment. It's not what I said. Condoms used properly provide no protection from this virus. HPV is not transmitted the way HIV is. HIV, the virus that causes AIDS, requires the exchange of body fluid. We need blood, semen, or vaginal fluid exchange. Herpes and HPV are both skin-contracted viruses. All it takes is skin contact anywhere in the genital area, and you're infected for life, and will infect everyone you have genital contact with after that. Why is this important? If you're going to maybe give information to students, especially teenagers, why is this important? Because it doesn't take sex. you know how many teenagers we've had in our clinics test positive for herpes and HPV who thought they were technically virgins, thought they could do everything else? Because what was their big fear? What were they worried about, getting a disease? Now they're worried about getting pregnant. So I can do all this other stuff. It's not sex. It's safe. It doesn't count. I'm still a virgin. I don't have to tell people I did that with because that's not sex. Pam, I'm not worried about all those STDs because my boyfriend was a virgin. And you know that because he told me. It's not acceptable to tell teenagers, certainly, or anyone, to abstain from sex if we're not going to define it. I've had to define it. Here's the medical definition of sex, the medical line over which you can't step, and if you've stepped over, you've risked disease and need to get tested. Here it is. Absolutely no genital contact of any kind. That's hand to genital, mouth to genital, genital to genital. Oral sex is sex, hence the name oral sex. If you've had oral sex, you're not a virgin, and you can't tell anyone you are, and every partner you ever have will have to know everyone you've done that with. Clear? Y'all know what genital means? (laughs) Seriously, I get 100 emails a week from teenagers. Does that mean shaking hands? We don't usually have genital contact with people we're meeting in the hallway. (laughs) Hello, nice to meet you. I always give kids a simple rule. If you're gonna deal with teenagers, boy, you gotta keep it simple. So here's a simple rule, ready? Keep your pants on and zipped, boys. If you've done that, you're fine. If not, we're in trouble, right? Then there's HIV, won't spend time on it. Virus causes AIDS, deadly for both males and females. What are we telling you to do to make sure you don't get this virus that will eventually kill you? If I said safe sex to students, what would they say? If I went to most public high schools anywhere in this country and said, what's safe sex, what are they gonna say? Condoms, am sure. Hey, Pam, I can sleep with 18 people. I got a piece of latex. <laughs> See? We still have kids saying this to each other. I've never had unprotected sex. What does that mean? Condoms aren't safe, never have been, never will be. The only safe sex is a safe partner. Someone who has never had sex, or if they have, hear me carefully, it has been five years from the last time they had sex of complete abstinence, have them virally blood tested, know what they've got. I stood and looked at Kathleen Sebelius, and they kept saying, no, safe sex is condoms. we got to tell them to use a condom. It's safe. I finally got so sick of hearing it, I had to just spell it out to her like this. Listen, I could have sex a million times with my husband who's only been with me. We were virgins when we got married, stayed faithful to each other. I could have sex a million times with my husband who's only been with me. Never use a condom, ever, and I will never get an STD. I could have sex once with some guy I meet at my hotel in Front Royal later tonight. Use a condom and be infected for the rest of my life. It has nothing to do with latex. It has everything to do with the partner. What if we didn't have AIDS and gentle warts and herpes and syphilis? What if I could give you a super condom? Kids get desperate. What if I use five, a bodysuit. There must be a way. Are there other reasons we might want to wait? I think so. I'm actually stupid enough to think sex is more than a biological act to meet a biological need. I'm such an idiot, such a complete moron, that I actually think sex involves a little bit more than a few body parts touching. I am so old. Such a dinosaur that I actually think sex involves your heart and your soul, and there's not a condom in the world that will ever protect that, right? It's countercultural cultural when you walk into a room and say, you know what, this isn't just about body part A goes into body part B. This is about your soul. This is about your heart. This is about who you are. First Corinthians uh, 7 says this, or 6, get it right. Flee sexual immorality. The word there is porneia. The Greek word there is porneia. Flee porneia, which is the Greek word for any form of sex outside of the sacrament of merit, including looking at it. All other sins you could commit are outside your body, but he or she who sins sexually sins against your own body. You damage everything you are. The Greek word there in in 1 Corinthians 6 for body is not translated properly because we don't have a good English word for it. It actually is is an all-inclusive term. You damage everything you are, your body, soul, and your spirit. The Apostle Paul, St. Paul, separated this sin from every other sin you could commit. Every other sin is out here, but when you sin sexually, when you sin with pornea, you have damaged everything you are. And then the next verse makes sense. Do you not know that your body, everything you are, is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We've given you a, I've given you a slight glimpse at the physical, just the physical risk. I'm going to re-remind you, girls, you will pay the higher price of the 30 major STDs. We're dealing with 26 of them primarily damage women. The other four damage both. Fair? I mean, I wish I could make stuff up for boys. You don't know, think they're going to turn green, fall off. I mean, if I could make it up, I would be lying untruth. and untruthful. And if you don't think it's not fair, take it with God. Because in case you missed this in sixth grade, human reproduction and anatomy, we're different. Boys and girls' bodies are not the same. Some of you are looking confused. You're scaring me. <laughs> Ladies, we have an open sexual system. The men in here have closed sexual systems. We're easier to infect and easier to damage. It's the way we're made. Girls, we have to release an egg from an ovary that's made its way through the fallopian tube. They cannot be scarred in any way. If that takes place, conception takes place. Conceived, diagnosed, attached, up to your uterine wall. There can be no infection, scarred to yours. So nutrients and needs, baby girls, for nine months you deliver. The boys, men produce sperm big deal it's not that hard okay girls your system is a little more complicated now usually junior high boys are doing this like will there be a test because she said that so fast i couldn't take notes i have no idea what just happened and my upperclassmen <laughs> some of these boys have been looking at me like this all night right well that's tough well you think that sperm thing's so easy you just try that then See, they let a woman speaker get up and talk about sex, and she's just dissing men. What's wrong with you, some kind of feminazi or something? Don't you like men? Like men, I married one. I have two boys who are pretty amazing young men. I'm proud of my sons. They're good boys. And I'll take credit when they live in my house, because I'm the parent. And it's not a democracy. What happened to parents today? My parents, I do not remember one second in my teenage years where my mother cared whether or not I liked her, ever. And now we got my parents like, oh, they might not like me because I have the rules. My kids didn't like me when they were teenagers. I had news for my teenagers. I have friends. And I don't need them. They have friends. They will have a lot of friends. They will have one mother. One of the rules in my house was no dating at all, period, none until you're 16. If you are not 16, you're not dating. I don't want your excuses. Prior to that, you're brain damaged. You will date anything that walks. Breathing appears to be your big criteria. Freshman girls, he doesn't even need to shower. Breathe, that's my standard. My sons, my boys, were not allowed to even ask a girl on a date, even ask her until they had gone and spoken in person to her father. I wanted a face-to-face conversation with her father. When a young man can separate a girl from her family system, she becomes an object to be used. My brilliant son, who's now 21, first girl he asked on a date, 17 years old, junior in high school, came to his parents, said, this is who I'm going to ask out. I said, seriously, you want to rethink that? It was a sheriff's daughter. (laughs) And I know him. Called him up. I said, sheriff, my son's coming to see you. I would like you in full uniform for this conversation, please. (laughs) Just, Just take your gun out the whole time he's talking and spin it around. I wanted my son to understand something This little girl that he was taking to prom Is somebody's daughter Who deserves to be respected and honored Not used, and more than the sheriff's daughter She is a daughter of the king of kings Imago Dei She is a princess Girls, you have forgotten who you are Complete Girls said to me, Pam, if you paid for the date I owe him something What does Chick-fil-A cost, six bucks? (laughs) What does it cost to go to a movie, girls? What did he drop, a 20? Take the cash! Girls, I don't care if he bought your dress, rented a limo, dropped 500 bucks. At the end of that night, you ought to be able to look at that boy and say, you had the privilege of being with me for five hours, and you don't need a thing else, thank you very much. I am a princess. Bought with Chick-fil-A. Listen, I have taught my sons to respect women. If they do not, I will kill them. And I know that I'm not the only mother who's taught her son what it means to respect women, so I'm going to say something nice about a lot of the boys here. So I don't want any boys with selective hearing. They're going to be at dessert later going, oh, that sex lady hates men. Did you hear a man hate her? <laughs> Pay attention. I've traveled this country, girls. I've been in town cities, high schools, universities, all over this nation and in every school I've been in. And I know in this beautiful campus and this amazing place, I know. That's sitting here tonight are young men with integrity, men of God, boys with character, girls, boys who do care about you. Kind of boy, if you were to date him, would look at you and say, I do love you, and you matter. And I might be able to walk away from sex with you without permanent damage, but you won't. And because I love you so much, because you matter so much. I would never ask you to put your life on the line, your ability to have children, your future, your self-respect on the line to meet my momentary need. Ever. I would never pressure, damage, hurt, take. while well, there are men with that kind of integrity. Girls, I married one. Unfortunately, there will always be some who don't care. And as long as they don't get hurt in the long run, they're going to say all the words. And some of them are good at it. I love you. Everybody else is doing it. If you won't, she will. I'll die. He's not going to die and nothing will fall off. He'll actually live. And real love respects Love doesn't pressure, damage, hurt, take and walk. Boys usually say to me, but Pam, you're making it sound like all the the boys are trying to get girls to have sex with them and the girls are just sweet and innocent. No, please don't stop, boundary. (laughs) Like, have you even been on a campus ever? Have you seen these girls? Pam, they're so aggressive. Have you seen the way these girls dress? Just take me now. What was I supposed to do? She started it. She seduced me. I tried to say, no, it was here. Listen, here's what I've said to my students. This is so important that we talk about this, because this was not talked about with me, it, to my generation, and we are paying a high price. Opposites might attract when it comes to personality. Opposites never attract when it comes to character. Students, you will get exactly what you are. You think you can be a player? You think sex is going to listen to the culture? Sex is a big game. It's what we do. And someday you're going to marry someone who will be faithful to you? Really? You're insane. So, oh, yeah, but he'll be faithful to me because I'm pretty, I'm gorgeous, and I said magic words, and I wore a beautiful white dress, and now I wear a magic ring. Within three years, they're cheating on each other, running to priests, counselors, bashing out windows of Cadillacs with nine irons, going, he cheated on me! He cheated did that? Oh, Ashley Madison, how did that happen? I have no idea. Duh, we're all in shock. You were doing it before you walked the aisle. You're going to do it after. Past behavior predicts future behavior. When did this become rocket science? One of my favorite priests out on Long Island, Father Charles, love him to death. I was speaking in his parish. He said, we were having dinner. He said, Pam, every couple that comes to my parish to get married has to sit, on, sit down with me. First thing he asks them is this, are you having sex or are you living together? If they say yes this very, to either of those, this very wise priest looks at the young couple and says this, you've both told each other by your behavior. By your behavior, you have both told each other that you are perfectly comfortable having sex with someone you're not married to. Weddings don't fix that. Here's the truth you need to understand that my generation never heard. Sexual discipline, integrity, is learned. And it is not learned after you walk the aisle. It is learned before. Young men, the respect and honor you give these girls on this campus right now, the respect with which you treat women today, by the way you talk, by what you're texting, by what you're looking at on your smartphone, your gaming console, the respect you give women today, that is the trust you will hand your wife someday. And if you can't be respectful of women now, what makes you think a wedding ring is going to fix that? Girls, the respect and honor you give men today, right now, by the way you talk, dress, by the picture you sent your boyfriend you didn't think anyone would see until you were arrested, the respect you give men now, girls, that's the trust you're going to give your husband someday. I had the privilege of watching the only daughter I have walk an aisle in a white dress and mean it. You know, when you travel the country and you talk about people choosing to wait for marriage, and the culture looks at you like you're crazy, you have two heads, that nobody's doing it, I think one of the the biggest moral problems is when we can as a culture agree that everybody's doing it, none of us are responsible for our choices. I was on an airplane sitting next to a businessman, he says, what do you do for a living? Talk about sex. Really? What do you tell kids about sex? I tell them to wait, not to have sex until they're married. He's like, what? Are you crazy? They're all doing it. They're out of control, they're animals. First of all, I said, that's not true. Second of all, then he proceeds to tell me about, that he was on his third wife and all of the things he was doing, and then he looked at me and he said, but I'm not like that. Are you having an out-of-body experience? He was involved, because I missed that point. <laughs> Unbelievable. But you know what he this, this was his I, this was his and it's typical of our world. Well Pam, nobody can be faithful. Nobody can get married chase. Everybody's doing it, which then excuses you for the choices you're making. And I'm here to tell you that that's not true. In fact, the CDC said we now have more virgins in high school than we have had in 15 years. This pendulum is swinging the other way. I had the privilege of watching the only daughter I have walk an aisle in a white dress and mean it. She was a virgin. We shot, she got married, so was her husband. And I prayed a lot of years, not only for my daughter, but for the man that would marry her and the family that would raise him. And my daughter was a typical teenage girl. Come on, she did this to me in high school regularly. <laughs> You've told me a million times, I know, Mom. I can do your talk for you. She was a virgin when she left high school because I had killed any boy that came near her and I had access. And then I did the scariest thing I've ever done as a parent in my life and dropped my only daughter off at the dorms at Minnesota State University. Cried the whole, I lost it. My husband's like, are you going to be okay? I said, no, I'm not. Because I've said everything I can say to this little girl. And I love her more than my life. And I know what she's facing and I can't choose for her. I tried to apply to be her roommate. They wouldn't have me. My daughter became a militant virgin in college. Let me tell you what I mean that. She was quiet about her commitment to Chastity in high school because she had to live in my shadow. But when she got to university, she was just Kara. And she got loud. And I'll tell you why she was loud. Not because her mom was a sex lady, but because she saw the pain on her dorm floor every single day. My cell phone became the hotline for freshman floor six. I saw so much pain. And my daughter, now it's not mom talking about it. Now it's that girl bawling in the dorm room who had chlamydia three times in one semester. Now we're dealing with that. And my daughter woke up really fast and said, this is not what I want. And on her wedding day, my beautiful daughter walked that aisle, and as they stood at the altar, just before they put their wedding bands on, both my daughter and son-in-law removed the purity rings they have been wearing since high school, took them off their hands, walked off the altar, handed them to their parents, came back up to the altar and put their wedding bands there. This matters. And in a culture that says this doesn't matter, the end result of sex without boundaries is disease infertility, broken marriages, infidelity, and the death of literally millions of children in the wombs of these young women. That's the end result. And so that's why we've said to you, choose this day who you will serve. You can choose life or you can choose death, and it is just as much, that's your choice. If you're here and you've had sex, can I quickly say this to you? Maybe you've tuned me out, and I can't leave you like that tune me in. I don't care what you did before you walked in here. I care what you do when you leave. And you walk out of here and say, it doesn't matter. I've already done it. And I don't need to listen to you. Don't listen to me. Do whatever you want. Maybe up until today, you've escaped permanent physical damage. I don't know that. Neither do you. Get tested, please. I'm begging you to see a doctor. Girls, you have to. You need to see a doctor this week, again in six months, again in a year, two, three, four, and five. Who's to say the next time you decide to put this gun to your head, and not go, ah. Who's to say the strain of HPV you're carrying today won't kill you, but the one you get in May will? When are you going to begin to build integrity, discipline, and trust? You could start today. Don't ever let anyone tell you because you've had sex in the past, means you have to keep doing it. I had a little girl run up to me, got right in my face. She said, Pam, I'm a recycled virgin. I said, cool. She said, when I was 15, I had sex. It left me with a lot of pain, and I knew it was wrong. And I knew I didn't want to keep getting used and dumped. I didn't want scarred fallopian tubes, cancer. I wanted sex to mean something. And I went to confession and asked God to forgive me and made a commitment to God, myself, and my future husband that I would never have sex again until the day I married I said, sweetheart, that is awesome. My Bible says if you will confess your sin, he is faithful and just, will forgive you, will throw your uh, sin as far as the east is from the west. But hear me carefully. Confession, the sacrament of penance, is not about saying sorry to God for your sin on Monday night so you can do it again on Friday. It a is 180-degree turned from sin to righteousness. It's doing what Jesus said to the woman caught in sexual sin and adultery, thrown at Jesus' feet naked. He said, if, and They said, she deserves to be stoned. Rabbi, what do you say? He said, if you're without sin, you pick up your rocks and throw them. From the oldest to the youngest, the men left. He lo- Jesus left alone with her and looked at her and said, Woman, where are your accusers? She said, they're gone, Lord. Hear the words of our Lord that day to her. Neither do I condemn you. Get up. And keep thinking that men are going to meet your needs? Get up and think the next guy you have sex with will stay for five minutes? Get up and use a condom? Is that what Jesus said? He said, get up and sin no more. From this day, never again. I looked at that little girl. I said, sweetheart, you've been forgiven. Someday when you get married, you're going to have to tell that boy what you did when you were 15 going to have to rehearse your past. He will need to know. But you're going to be able to look at that boy, and you're going to be able to say, I was forgiven. And for the last three years, five years, seven, not last week. I slept with every guy I ever dated. But last week, I changed. For seven years, I've waited for you. I've practiced chastity. I've waited only for you for seven years. And we're going to know what kind of damage is done we've had those years. Absolutely amazing. Many of you in here have not had sex. you virgins. Can I say this to you? And I hope that you will give this message because it is so important that, that, that our culture sees and hears that if we are going to produce families and futures of people who embrace life, we have to do it right at this level. If you're here and you're a virgin today, good for you. You have something so special. Your life is a testimony of something so amazing and it is worth whatever it takes. It's worth the ridicule. It's worth everybody else. It's whatever it takes to get to your wedding day with no past fear or disease. I had a senior boy, 6 foot 8, Catholic High School, Buffalo, New York, chase me down the hall of his high school. 6 foot 8 is a giant in my world. And the teacher saw him. They said, that Pam, that tall boy, 4.0 student, full ride scholarship to play basketball at Duke University, chase me down the hall of his Buffalo High School doing this. Virgin! You do not miss a 6 foot 8 senior yelling virgin at you ever. And this is what he said to me. I'll never forget it. He said, Pam, it's easy for girls to tell people they're virgins, but you don't know what it's like for a boy. You don't hear the locker room talk. You don't hear the boys on my basketball team bragging about who's easy. What do I say to my friends when they're mocking me because I'm a senior and a virgin? I said, young man, next time your friends start to tease you because you're saving yourself for your wife, I want you to look right at your friends and say this. Any day, tonight, I could choose to be like you, but you will never again be like me. Once it's gone, it's gone. It takes that long to throw it away. It takes a lot of integrity to wait. I got to ask a lot of young people your age and older who are virgins how they did it. I got to ask a really famous young man this Tim Tebow. And I came to him, Tim. I said, Tim, how you doing it? And he looked at me and said, What every young person who's who's been uh, fighting this battle and is trying to personally stay pure and give a message of that to the world. He looked at me and he said, This Pam, my faith is real. I'm not playing a game. Let me make you a promise here. If this relationship between you and Jesus is right, all of these relationships will be right. If this is not right, none of these relationships will be right. All right, Philippians 4:13. If you're not used to memorizing scripture, you need to. If you can't, put it on your door. It was on my dorm door. I saw it every day when I walked out. It says this, Philippians 4:13. I can do all things because I'm so amazing. That's good. Catholics know their scriptures this is good. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. We have everything we need to live holy lives of holiness. And you know what? Let me tell you this because I believe out of this room are going to come the people that are going to rock our world. I really do. I believe this is the place that is going to make an we got one last shot at this, I believe. One last shot, and you're the generation that's going to do it. But can I say this to you? The enemy knows as well. The enemy knows, just like he knew me sitting in my university, what God was going to do with me, he knows very well what he's got planned to do with every one of your lives. He knows. And what he would like more than anything else is to take you down. And the way to take someone down is to do it personally. It's right here. This could destroy what God has planned for you to do for his work and his kingdom. And that's why it is so important that you put that hedge, that you rely on the power of Christ, of the sacrament, our Blessed Mother you re- of your faith to make sure you not just talk about holiness, but you live it, right? Because if you talk about it and you don't live it, everything you said doesn't matter. Believe, believe me, you're going to change your world. I know you will, but it's going to require a lot of personal sacrifice. And, and, then, and then this, I'm going to leave you with this. I, op- I, I pray every morning, and, and in my prayers I say this, I am not the Messiah. That sounds silly. It's not silly. I can't save, fix, change the world. That's not my job. That's the job of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. It's not Pam Stenzel's job. Mother Teresa said, said this, and it is the most powerful statement, and you need to remember it. God did not call us to be successful. He called us to be faithful. So go from here and be faithful, and in doing that, you will change the world. God bless you.